0: Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, I love you and I thank you for the ways that you take care of us and watch over us, the ways that you bless us with um, your fidelity, with your faithfulness, O Lord. Jesus, I ask that you would um, give encouragement to those who are listening to the program today. Give them a sense of uh, peace. Lord, I just ask for peace in their hearts. I ask, Lord, for A sense of um, knowing that you are with us, you are watching over us, that you are guiding us uh, every step of the way, Lord, as we walk the path that you have for us today. And Lord, I pray for Amanda in a special way that you have a blessed day. I ask, Lord, that you would just give her signs of encouragement, that she would know that you are with her. And for all of those, Lord, that are on a journey, um, on a journey that maybe they didn't expect, maybe they didn't want, but Uh, it's something that you are uh, asking of them. And so, Lord, I ask that you'd bless um, our community of faith in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it's great to be with you today. Uh, I mentioned uh, just at the beginning of the program that a new form, another instance of humility. I I just had to, I don't want to say jinx it. But uh, so I'm recording this. uh, It's in the evening uh, on Wednesday evening. So you're listening to this on Thursday morning. And uh, it was Wednesday after dinner. And I was like, I haven't been humbled yet today. I have not been. This is pretty cool. Or I started to wonder, like, did I get humbled? Did I I forget that, that I was humbled in a certain way? And I couldn't remember it. I couldn't remember it. Oh, sorry. For those of you that are not aware, I kind of backed myself into a corner and decided to once again give my guardian angel permission this Lent to humble me each day. I, I do admit that occasionally there will be days where I'm like not reminding my guardian angel that I've given him that permission and that I get reminded by my guardian angel that, in fact, I had given him permission. So, um, <laughs> uh, however, uh, yes, uh, on Wednesday I was remembering it and it was after dinner and I'm like, Hey, I, I don't remember being humbled yet today. So I uh, came down to my humble little office where I have this uh, studio and I'm recording the program that you're hearing uh, on Thursday morning and I'm like, all right, let's go. I had done family prayer. Um, with Kerry and uh, John Mark, uh, we prayed our rosary, at divine mercy, uh, and our other family prayers. Other kids had gone to bed, came back down, let's go, radio program, can't get the computer to wake from sleep. One of my standard practices is when I leave the computer, I don't just leave it open and on. I um, I... Uh, put the computer into a sleep mode, right? And so anyways, it's um uh, so I did that, so I came back down and I do what I always do to get the computer to wake from sleep and I hit the on off button it did not wake from sleep. so I'm like, well, let me kind of move around my mouse and click on a button because or hit the space bar because you know that's in the technical manual. Hit the space bar and, and wiggle around the mouse and that'll cause the computer to wake from sleep, right? <laughs> it didn't work. So I'm like, well, maybe I just could hit that wake button one more time, the, on, the power on button one more time. No, that's not working. And so I'm like, okay, now I know that if I hold that power button in for five seconds, that'll force a shutdown. And it'll allow me to turn the power back on again and power the computer back up again. That didn't work. And I'm like, oh, let's see. So turning it, like getting reset doesn't work. Forcing a shutdown doesn't work. My little squiggling around of the mouse said, this is not working. Well, let me just unplug the computer. So I unplug the computer. Wait. You know, like when you call for customer support, they make you unplug something and let it like cycle uh, through some kind of power down 30 seconds and then you plug it back in. So I tried that. Didn't work. I think maybe it's the monitor. So I unplugged the um, power to the monitor, plug it back in and unplug and plug a bunch of things in. This goes on for 30 minutes and now it's getting late. I'm like, this is not good. So I reach out to Ron. I'm like, Ron, my computer is down. This is not working. Ron, the general manager of Sacred Heart Radio. I'm like, he because he's waiting for the program, and I'm like, this is not good. I I don't know what the problem is. So he starts texting me that, well, did you try this? Did you try that? And, and I'm getting a little, you know, a little. the word isn't offended, but I'm like, well, yeah, of course, I tried those things. So I actually made a video. So I made a a nice video of of showing him, I'm forcing the shutdown, I'm unplugging it, I'm plugging it back in, I'm doing all these different things, and nothing's working, it's not waking from sleep. And then the video is too long to process. So I have to upload the video to Google Drive and share it with him. I'm like, well, I'm going to make a shorter video clips and send them to him. And so I make a short video clip of The first act of of resetting doesn't work. Forcing a shutdown doesn't work. Unplugging and plugging, and I I put the power back on, and it works. And it works. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I have no idea why it worked that time. After doing the same exact thing, 10 previous times over the course of the 45 minutes previously but making that video for Ron and sending it to him it worked <laughs> what a humbling humbling thing to think oh i'm i'm doing everything i can to get this computer to wake from sleep and it's not doing it. And finally, after unplugging, waiting again and plugging it back in, I had a witness this time. It was Ron on video and I hit the power. It came back on. And you know what? I said, Oh, Ron, I got to go. I got to get my program done. Let's go. So here you are. You guys are, be- you guys are the beneficiaries of this little story. Well, the story has a meaning, you know, beyond the latest example of my being humbled. It has to do with the spiritual reality that scripture talks about of us waking from sleep. The computer was asleep and it wouldn't wake up. I hit the button that was supposed to get it to turn on. It didn't work. I tried the things that I was normally trying. It wasn't working. I even tried unplugging it and plugging it back in, and it didn't work. And it was only when I had been persistent in doing what I knew I was supposed to be doing as the ways of attempting to methodically, progressively address the reality that this computer was asleep, but it needed to wake up. In order to be able to function, that when I finally unplugged it and then got power restored to it and turned it on, that amazingly, surprisingly, when the computer came back on, everything was still open. It literally had just been asleep. Even though I had, I thought, powered it all down, when it came back on, all the programs that I had, all the tabs that I had, all the browser, the, the, uh, the program that I used to record was still on. It was active, ready to go. It had just been asleep. My brothers and sisters, we are in Lent. And in Lent, one of the lessons that the Lord teaches us through humility is that he draws our attention to those places in our spiritual lives where we too are asleep, where we are asleep. And the Lord intends to wake us up. The Lord intends us to be able to access a source of power, a source of testimony, a source of encouragement, so that we too might be willing to humble ourselves as a way of coming to realize that there are parts of our lives that are not alert to what the Lord is doing, that are not attentive to what the Lord is asking. The Lord doesn't want us to fall asleep. He wants us to stay awake. St. Augustine uses this biblical image of being asleep spiritually as a sign of being spiritually dead in his writing, in his treatise on fasting. So very fitting that we could look to the greatest doctor of the Western Church, St. Augustine, uh, in in the early church of the Church Fathers. Sorry, Uh, some would say Augustine is right alongside with Aquinas, as the greatest of the church fathers, or the, the doctors of the church. But in his writing on fasting, he uses this analogy of someone being sick, someone dying, someone being physically ill. And the way that he describes it in this writing is that a doctor is called to the, uh, to the home of a family whose dad is elderly and sick. And he goes in and visits this sick man in his room and comes out of the room and says to the family, he's very sick, and he's near to death. And here's the situation. If he can get through the night and stay awake, he will be able to overcome, he'll be able to break through, he'll be able to get beyond this being near the doorway of death But you must not let him fall asleep. You must keep him awake. Now his condition makes him tired. His condition makes him sluggish. He will want to sleep. But if he falls asleep, he will die. You must keep him awake. And then Augustine turns to the reader, having laid out that scenario, of the family being told this message by the doctor of the sick patient on death's door who wants above all to fall asleep, but if he falls asleep, he'll die. He turns to the reader and he says, this is a paraphrase, but it's almost a quote. He says, if you, if you love him, you will do it. If you love that sick man, if you love that sick father who, if he falls asleep, he'll die. He says, if you love him, you'll do it. You'll do whatever you need to do to keep him awake. You'll throw water on his face. You'll yell at him, talk to him, engage him, shake him. You will do whatever you need to do to keep him awake. And Augustine says, if you love him, you will do it. And if you do not do it, you too are asleep. If you love him, you will do it. And if you do not do it, you too are asleep. My brothers and sisters, as we live our lives of faith, we should stop and ponder that. What parts of our lives are awake and alert to the Lord's presence, to his call for our lives, and to the way that we're living our lives? Are we living our lives in ways that are today going to help us grow in holiness? Are we living our lives in a way today that is honoring of God? Are we going to live today in a way that glorifies the Father, that fulfills His will for our lives? Or are we living today only half awake? Are we living today, half asleep? Are we living today in a way that is sluggish, that is slow to respond, in a way that isn't attentive, in a way that is being uh, swindled out of the good things that the Lord has for our lives and that the Lord wants to do through our lives? Well, today in Sound Insight, I'm gonna build off of what St. Augustine says in his treatise on fasting, and I'm gonna explore how it is we can stay awake. We need to wake from sleep. Yeah, it was a bad thing that my computer was asleep, but I got it awake. Even more important will be for me to recognize the ways that I'm asleep and beg the Lord to give me the grace to become spiritually awake. Welcome back to Sound Insight. It's great to be with you today. This is Tom Curran. And uh, today is a, today's actually a pretty big day in my life. Today is the final day where I am going to be uh, performing the work of a consultant and an executive coach to um, corporations. I've been doing that work since 1998 wow, 24 years. I have been serving um, companies, um, serving executives and and coaching them, serving leadership teams and helping them to discover what the strategic issues are that they are facing and then help them design ways of addressing them, working with CEOs in particular, and discerning um, the you know clear vision and goals that accomplish that vision, the strategies to be able to walk the path from where they're at to accomplish those goals and fulfill that vision, turning those strategies into plans, figuring out what's it going to take in terms of personnel, how long it'll take, how much money it'll take, and then what are the steps that make up the walking out of that plan in a coordinated way, and then helping to drive execution um, and accomplishing that plan among the folks who are supposed to do that. Okay, all of that stuff that I just shared with you, and then in a very special way, focused on helping the leadership team, the top leadership team, be able to work well together uh, in the service of the corporation and its mission. Often those are for profits, sometimes non profits, but I've I've loved having the opportunity to do that. That that work that I've been doing is what Saint Paul called tent making. I don't know if you knew that. You maybe have heard that that Saint Paul references this, that he was a tent maker in order to be able to preach the gospel free of charge. As you know, this great apostle to the Gentiles, who had a zeal and a passion to uh, spend his life helping to bring people to Jesus Christ, to experience redemption, to become members of the church, and then to fulfill their God-given identity as their recreated children of God called to be saints, living their lives glorifying him on earth and fulfilling their God-given purpose. And yet, St. Paul had practical needs, and so he was a tent maker, He did that in order to uh, make some money to be able to continue to do his work. So, for me, doing consulting and coaching was tent making. It was a way for me to support my family so that I could spend my life in the majority of the hours I had on a weekly basis um, doing radio, giving talks, developing resources, audio, video, print on the internet. Um, but also trusting that the Lord would blend this way of living together in a way that would glorify Him and provide for my family. And so um, today is the final day of my contract with the final company that I'm going to serve in this way. Um, And there's a reason for it. Um, In the two and a half years that I've moved here, um, I you've heard me share the stories about how I've been able to help families, um, along with Carrie, hearing uh, about the stories of us being here. People would come over and visit. We would host them, sometimes staying at our home, oftentimes hosting them for meals and helping them get connected to parishes, families, schools, becoming familiar with the area. And it's been a beautiful mission and ministry. And Um, one of the things that I ended up doing last summer was uh, pursued and became a real estate agent in Washington and Idaho in order to help families the rest of the way. Uh, It's so much more than just helping people find a home to buy and helping them in that transaction. And, and, And yes, clearly, that's something that I've been doing. Uh, I've been doing it for myself for 25 years, but now as a licensed agent in Washington and Idaho, I'm able to help other families. And beginning in the fall and moving into this year, I've started to like get the word out. Hey, you know, uh, you know, I loved supporting you guys in moving here. If you know of other families that are moving here and they would love the support like I provided and Carrie provided, which again is is far more than just helping them discern and discover and put an offer on a home, but helping them uproot and move a family and get a family settled here. It's just, it's an awesome, beautiful mission and ministry to help accompany families along the journey. And so, so that's what I'm Doing with my time outside of ministry, uh, outside of radio, and, and giving talks in churches and uh, other online things uh, of associated with ministry is the ministry and the mission of helping families who are moving. So, um, you know, wherever you are in the state, if you're listening to my voice, I would be thrilled to be of service to you, even if it's just. Like let's jump on a Zoom meeting and, and say a prayer and talk about what your life situation is, your family situation. Even if you you know, you're not moving to the from, you know, to the Spokane Coeur d'Alene area, which would be the, the center of, of where my mission is. But even helping folks move from the west side, uh, I'm I'm already doing that and I would love to be able to just have a conversation with you. If you're thinking about it, you're discerning it, you try to figure out what's it like. What would it take? Love to be able to help you. It, it's uh, it's just a new it's a new season for me, um, a new way for me to use the coaching and communication and negotiation skills that I've developed over the last twenty five years helping corporations and CEOs and leadership teams. I love the idea. I'm helping moms and dads. Um, uh, make a move for their family's salvation, for the good of their families, right? Realizing that there's a lot at stake in our kids' lives right now, and we just don't want to get that wrong. We don't want to get that wrong. So if I could be of service to you, I'd love to do that. I know folks say, well, hi, Tom, how do I get in touch with you? Well, the easiest way is just to go to uh, my website, Uh, MyCatholicFaith.org, and there's a way to get in contact with with me there. I I will soon have um, on that website a a direct way to contact me. Um, But you can call me. You can actually call me. Um, I'm going to give you my number. If you want to call me, text me. Uh, But you can email me, Tom at MyCatholicFaith.org, Tom at MyCatholicFaith.org. Go to MyCatholicFaith.org. You can leave me a message, or you can just email me, Tom at MyCatholicFaith.org or you can give me a call. Yes, you can. 253-797-7801. 253-797-7801. It's on my website as well. So it's an easy way to be in touch with me if I can be of help to you. It's time for us to wake from sleep. It's time for us to realize that there are places in our lives where we are not fully alert to what the Lord is asking. And when we do that, when we settle for that, we miss out on, on on spiritual riches. We miss out on 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 good things that God has for us. And my son John Luke, uh, in one of his classes, was, um, I think it was a, a rhetoric class, it was studying um, how do you, Write a Socratic dialogue, and so in his Socratic dialogue, Socrates was dialogue in a dialogue with Satan, believe it or not, over the nature of goodness. What is goodness? And um, it was really interesting to to talk with him about um, what's the nature of goodness. You know, like what is what is the good, and it was really cool because um, we went through a variety of like ways of, well, Dad, how do you define what's good? And to go beyond the idea of what's good is what's pleasing, right? Just sort of like what's satisfying. Well, that's what's good, right? This tastes good. This tastes satisfying to me. This is pleasing to my taste. And it got him thinking about, well, well, how do you define what's good? And so it was, was a really neat conversation because we ended up talking through, well, what's good is what is authentically valuable. What's good is what is valuable in and of itself, that if something is, that there's an intrinsic value to it. There's something truly valuable about it. And when it comes to human life, there's a sign of what's truly valuable. There's a sign of what's truly good when goodness is being manifest in someone's life. And the word that I used was flourishing. I said, when there's something good happening in your life, you're flourishing. What does human flourishing look like? Human flourishing looks like, well, a human that's fully alive, a human that is Experiencing good and goodness as a human being is at peace. There's a sense of peace, tranquility. There's a sense of serenity because things are in order. There's not chaos. Ah, yes, that's good. That's valuable. And what else is good? Well, what's good is when you're flourishing is you feel free. There's a sense of freedom. You have a sense of space. You have a sense of of options. You have a sense of capacity. You have a sense of of not being bound up, not being held back, not being chained down. Uh, when when you're experiencing a sense of flourishing, there's a sense of lightness or even light. And I said these are the characteristics of goodness. And when um it, when he applied that to the dialogue it was really interesting <laughs> he ended up um saying to satan so satan he said when you when you experience human beings uh doing that experiencing a sense of freedom and peace harmony and order and flourishing uh do you think that that's good and and he said no that's not good for him and so it ended up becoming the idea that the opposite of what is good is what is evil. The opposite of what is good is are those things that are going to lead us to confusion, darkness, lead us to bondage and a lack of freedom, a lack of peace, a lack of order. Those things are what are signs of evil. And therefore, those, those are the things that are the signs of what it is that holds us back there's one other definition of of the good and that is the good is that which overflows itself the good is that which is uncontainable in and of itself one of the beautiful powerful uh, uh, metaphors for um, for the Blessed Trinity for divine life is the concept of the fountain fullness a fountain that Gushes up and overflows. And there, you don't see the source of the fountain where the water just keeps surging up, but it just keeps overflowing. Carrie and I uh, took our daughter, Mary Grace, to downtown Spokane on Saturday night. We were just walking uh, in the downtown, and it was before it was dark out, and there's a riverfront park there. And Crazy to say, it was the first time that we had walked around that park in the entire time that we've been here. Kind of embarrassing to acknowledge that out loud. Kind of like me acknowledging that I lived in Seattle for 20 years and I never went on the Space Needle. (laughs) Uh, I never went up to the top of the Space Needle in 20 years. Yeah. Anyways, uh, but I had been here in having been down to the Riverfront Park. Well, there are a couple of bridges that you can walk over the river the Spokane River. And a river, especially a big flowing river, is an amazing thing to ponder, to wonder at. Do you, do you ever wonder, if you look at a river, the enormity of the, the water, the, the amount of water that is there, the amount of water that is flowing past you, the speed, the, the depth of that water, the, the rushing nature of the water, the breadth of the, the river, the depth of the river, the flow of that water, and then stop and ask, where'd all that water come from? And why isn't it running out? Why is it that you could stand here and look in that river and day after day, I mean, hour after hour, day after day, month after month, that water is flowing and there seems to be no end to the source of that water. That is, for me, a beautiful way that um, great theologians and even philosophers have pondered the reality of God's life as good, as overflowing himself. That God in his goodness, in his good, out of a sheer act of goodness, paragraph one of the Catechism, It was a sheer act of goodness that had God will to create us. God is infinitely good, and He overflows the bounds of His own divine life to share life with us, creating us out of nothing. The power, the wisdom, the the astonishing um, uh, knowledge of God that can, who has created, not who just has the potential to create, but has created and sustains this universe. This God is immense. This God is wondrous. This God is almighty in power and knowledge and wisdom and in goodness. And it's this God who calls us to be fully awake. I'm up against a break. Back in a minute. And I'll keep talking about this. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's it's a wonderful thing. Isn't it a wonderful thing to be alive when you stop and think about how good God is? When you reflect and wonder about the goodness of God. Coming up on Monday, um, we have a book club edition of Sound Insight, the Sacred Heart Radio Book Club edition of Sound Insight with Father Kurt Nagel and Father Jeff Lewis. And we, yes, are finally in Lent. We are going to get that book in in Lent. We are going to talk about False Mercy. We're going to talk about False Mercy, that book by Dr. Christopher Malloy, Uh, uh, a colleague of mine, a friend of mine. We arrived at Catholic University of America together the same year, started our PhD program in systematic theology. He finished before me. (laughs) I was married before him. (laughs) We both have a bunch of kiddos. He teaches at the University of Dallas. Great guy. Uh, He loves the Lord, loves the faith, and has done a a tremendous job of um, laying out uh, a number of um, uh, what he identifies as these uh, recent uh, distortions of Catholic truth, and so "False Mercy" is the book we're going to be discussing. And full disclosure, you know, Father Nagel and Father Lewis both said, you know, this book is several hundred pages long. There's no way we're going to get through all of this. Let's pick two chapters. So we're only picking two chapters. We're going to cover the chapter on evangelization, and we're going to cover the last chapter which is kind of cheating because the last chapter is a grab bag of a bunch of other um, of these recent heresies, these recent distortions in church teaching that he didn't give full treatment to. So it's going to give us a a way of covering um, a whole number of issues, as well as uh, putting a focus on the theme of evangelization uh, and what what is an authentic Catholic approach to evangelization and maybe some recent distortions. So uh, I do encourage you, get the book, Sophia Institute Press, Sophia Institute Press, and um, the book, False Mercy. Okay, so that's coming up on Monday. Um, I'm talking about the goodness of God, and the goodness of God as a point of reflection to help us wake from sleep. We do not want to settle— to be asleep in our spiritual lives. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, the disciplines of Lent, are meant to help us diminish and sever our connection to those sinful places in our lives that keep us in slavery, like in Egypt. But now we're in the desert, the place of stripping down, the place of extending ourselves, stretching ourselves, in order to prepare ourselves to enter into the promised land of good things— Right? The promised land of good things, like the Israelites after 40 years of the desert, they're going to live out their identity as God's children because they've been purified from their attachments and perfected and formed to enter the promised land and there to do battle as God's children, to be faithful to their identity. Because when they entered the promised land full of good things, it didn't mean that their battle was done. It meant that they were freed from being slaves and they were free to be faithful as God's chosen people. Now, as you know, that was a battle every step of the way as they entered the promised land. But the desert was the place of of being purged from those sinful connections. Those are the first three weeks of Lent and focused on being prepared to live in our identity as God's children. I started talking about that yesterday on Sound Insight. Again, it's it's the overarching theme. You remember I talked about it in terms of mortification and asceticism, Right, mortification putting to death. The first three weeks, this is now about perfection. It's about growing in our call to be holy in every aspect of our conduct and the spiritual disciplines that help us get there. God's goodness, when we know God's goodness, it opens up a whole way of seeing life. Do you ever, like, where do you start in your reflection of faith? Where do you begin? Like, yesterday I began at a certain point. Yesterday I was reflecting on what's the most important day of your life. It's the day that you die, why there's the most at stake. It's heaven and hell. You do not want to get that wrong. You don't want to get that wrong because there's so much to say. Everything's at stake. (laughs) Nothing else is important in life if you get that day wrong. So you want to be prepared. I want to begin at a different place though. I want to begin not at the day of your death and the threat of the fires of hell for all eternity as the place of your first reflection, but I want to begin at a different place. And so I want to begin with that fountain fullness of God's goodness, the God who created us out of a sheer act of goodness, and here's the, here's the beginning point. The beginning point is so much less about hell and it's so much more about heaven. It's that God has a universal salvific will. Did you hear that? That every human being that God has created, that's you and that's me. He created us with a will, with a purpose and a plan that we, would be with him forever in heaven. I hope that's a consolation to you. I hope that is, well, maybe that can be a little signal to you, a little communication to you of just how precious you are in God's sight. The gift that you are in God's sight. Yesterday, uh, well, again, this is, you listening to this on Thursday morning, uh, it was on Wednesday morning. I was, um, doing a little shopping and I got a phone call and here I am in Fred Meyer, uh, uh, doing some shopping and, um, I got a. Uh, actually, no, I made a phone call and, uh, the woman who answered, Uh, is, I was trying to coordinate something about junior high basketball, and the woman who answered said in a whispering voice, Tom, can I call you back? I'm just about to finish my Bible study. And I said, oh, well, Karen, I'm an angel sent from God, and I have a message for you. And that message is that you are a precious gift from God. And that God has a wondrous plan of salvation for you. And she laughed. And then she said, hold on a minute. Say that again. And so she said, hey, everybody, listen, hold on. I have an angel on the phone. (laughs) I said, hello. I am a messenger sent from God. I'm an angel. And I'm here to declare that each of you is precious in God's sight. And that God loves you and he wants you to know that he has a saving purpose for your life today. And there was a little surprise, right? Uh, it's just, okay, I got to go. Okay, goodbye. And she called me later. But I know, isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? To, if you could start your day, if you could start your day, that, that really happened. In Fred Meyer, and it was funny. I was as I was talking, I was still walking to my destination. The stuff I was getting, and (laughs) there was a guy looking at me because he heard me talking out loud. Because I was talking loud enough for the people to hear me in their little Bible study, and he's looking at me, and I'm looking at him, and I just keep talking. (laughs) I'm an angel sent from God. I got a message, and um, and that message is that God has a universal saving will. He didn't create anybody with the destiny of damnation. That is not what he intended for any human being that he's ever created. That's a very beautiful, powerful, and important starting point. God is good, and God's goodness is so immense that there is no one whom he has created with a will that they not be with him forever in heaven, that they not enjoy a heavenly existence with him. And, and so then, wait a minute now. Well, that's a beautiful first starting point. And then we stop and say, but does God's will get done? Is God's will always done? And, and we answer, no, we know that God's will, as perfect as it is, is not always done. But we also know something else, that God's will is done, or God does something greater. Ooh, I like that statement. Uh, Either God's will is done, or God does something greater. And, And that's where we talk about redemption. Right? So God created Adam and Eve, chose disobedience, a lack of trust, chose pride, and they fell. And led the entire world to be under the dominion of the demonic, under the pain of the consequences of sin. Ultimately, death and separation from God. God's will was not done. And yet God said, I'm not powerless in this circumstance. I am not only all good, I'm all powerful. So I have the ability in my wisdom to turn what is evil, what is not in accord with my will, into something greater. And he sent his son, his son to come down, to die for us, to rise to new life, and then to do something even more spectacular. What is that? I'll tell you in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I'm talking about this journey in Lent is not only a journey of purging us from sin, but of perfection, of leading us to the glory that God has for our lives. And in order for us to appreciate this, we want to begin with God's goodness, not just what I reflected on yesterday, beginning with the reflection on the end of our lives and the great uh, and desperate need for us to be prepared for that most important day of our lives, the day we die, so that we um, don't suffer eternal loss, which is unimaginable and terrifying. And so we complement that with a reflection at a different starting point. We begin at a different place with God's goodness. And we begin with God's goodness, and his goodness is infinite. We realize that God created us out of love. He sustains us out of love. He's with us with perfect fidelity, perfect fidelity, and infinite mercy. There's no end to the mercy that the Lord has for us. He has for you, because you're a gift. And when we fail to honor him in our lives, when we fail to follow his path and plan, when we betray him through sin, he says, I'm going to do something better. I'm going to do something bigger. I'm not limited by your decision, because I still have my decision. See, God's goodness is infinite, but so is God's power. So is God's wisdom. And so he sent his son to walk the path of righteousness that we fail to walk. He underwent all of the, the darkness all of the implications, all of the consequences of our sins, because he became one with us in our humanity. And in that solidarity, he became one with us, not only at the point of our human nature, but at the point of the fallenness of our lives, becoming sin so that we might become the very holiness of God. (gasps) There's the greater thing. That in becoming one among us, not only to undergo and suffer through all of the consequences of our sins, but to elevate us into his status as children of God. Hear it again. Hear it again. You're no longer merely a creature of God. You are a child of God. You have the very spirit of the living God in you, able to cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. You can know the one who's the source of all creation the source of all life, the paternal abyss. How's that a, that a beautiful way the fathers of the church referred to God, the paternal abyss. The sourceless source of all creation is Father, Father of the Son. But we share in the Sonship of the Son. We participate in divine life. This is astonishing. This is the call for us to grow and allow that glory of God to shine forth in our lives, to remove all blockages, to live in that identity. And so when we fail, God does something greater. God does something greater. Now when people say, well, wait a minute now, what does this have to do with the ultimate state of things, heaven and hell? What does this have to do with where things end up. If God has a universal salvific plan because he's perfectly good, and he's also all-powerful and all-wise, what does that mean? Does that mean that everybody automatically goes to heaven? No, of course not. It doesn't, because we have freedom, right? But let's ponder that a little bit more. Let's ponder a little bit more The way that we image God, not only that we can know what is true, but we can do what is good, but we have to choose to do what is good because we have a will, and that will has the capacity to determine the direction we take. We have choice. However, there has been far too little reflection at a popular level, and sometimes even theologically, about the difference between human freedom, the use of human freedom, and divine freedom. Ooh, isn't that a cool phrase? Divine freedom. What's the relationship? What's the distinction? What's the difference between human freedom and divine freedom? Well, we've already mentioned as sort of like one facet of this, that God is not powerless, just standing on the sidelines, hoping that you'll choose him. And he's just sort of watching indifferently on the sidelines. And it's like, well, if you choose me, great, you can join me in heaven. If not, Well, you've just made a bed for yourself. Go enjoy, not go enjoy, but go suffer through the consequences of your decision forever. Choice isn't quite like that. Why? Well, when you choose to do what is in accord with the nature of choice. Okay, let me say that again when you choose to use your freedom in accord with the proper object of freedom, which is the good, the aspect of what is truly valuable and will lead to true flourishing, peace and order, harmony and light and all those other factors, when you choose to do that, you know what happens to that capacity to choose? It grows. It's fulfilled. It enlarges. It becomes deeper. It becomes stronger. The more that you choose to do what is truly good, the freer you become, the stronger is your adherence to the good, and the less will be even that attachment, that attraction to, or that inclination away from God. The freer you are to embrace God, the less there is any space to choose away from God. Isn't that amazing? Uh, if you if you don't quite get what i'm saying think about heaven in heaven are you free to sin no why you're too free you're too free to sin you are so free that anything that would lead you away from the the saying yes to the one who is infinitely eternally good is crowded out of you all that exists is a yes to God. You are so free that there's no capacity to sin. There's no capacity to say no to God because you are a complete yes to God. Okay, that's heaven. It's like, could Jesus sin? No, Jesus was too free to sin. Well, if he couldn't sin, he wasn't free. No, no, you don't understand freedom. Freedom is the capacity to say yes to what is truly good because the act of freedom is freeing when you act in accord with the nature of that power. What that means is is that when we say no to what is truly good, when we say yes to evil, we're actually destroying, well, well, we're not necessarily destroying it immediately, but we're weakening, diminishing, fracturing, wounding our ability to use our will well to use our freedom properly. So the choice to do God's will, the choice for God, makes us freer and stronger in our willing to do what is good. But when we choose away from God, when we choose to sin, we're actually fracturing, weakening, diminishing, decaying, breaking, dissolving our own capacity to choose at all. So as I describe it like that, hopefully it's becoming clear that the choice for God is not operating in the same way, at the same level, or with the same consequences as the choice away from God. So to, to at a very like simplistic, popular way, to say, well, the human being has a choice. Every human being has a choice to choose to do God's will, to choose God or to choose away from God and choose to do sin. And if you choose God, you go to heaven. If you choose sin, you go to hell. And I'm like, it's a lot deeper than that. Because every time you're saying yes to God, you're becoming alive, you're becoming fulfilled, you're fulfilling your purpose and your meaning. Every time you choose to sin, you're destroying, decaying, and breaking yourself in the very act of doing that. These are not living inside the human being in the same way. So that's the first facet of this. The second facet is, how do you think God reacts? Well, whenever you choose him, he's saying yes He's confirming, celebrating, advancing, nurturing the union you have with him. So that yes corresponds to the divine yes that he has spoken over your life. But when you say no to him, does that mean he says no to you? No, he's a yes to you. And so just because you would choose to use your, yeah, your capacity to choose in a way to destroy it, that doesn't mean God has to sit by passively and allow that to happen. Divine freedom does not have to accept the attempt of uh, human freedom to make a definitive decision away from God. Does God have divine freedom, infinite freedom? Does he have the freedom to say no to the human being's attempt, finite freedom's attempt to make a definitive no to God. That's the mystery of salvation. That's the mystery of the universal will of God to save the infinite power of God at work in Jesus Christ redeeming the world to pursue us all the way down through the depths of Christ's passion and death, all the way through Holy Saturday, down to the descent among the dead into hell, and then his resurrection from the dead. He wills the salvation of every human being. Let's cling to that this Lent as we pursue the perfection that the Lord has for us. Let's awake from sleep. Let's awake from sleep. God bless your day. Join me tomorrow with Carrie on a Faith and Family Friday on Sound Insight.